Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one platform that's transforming how market-leading sales organizations use Salesforce around the world. Move past the call reports, pipeline reports, and forecasts, and stop using Salesforce just as a system of record. Let the Exvoyant team show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where every week we bring you the world's most successful sales leaders, and we dig into what they do to take what the market gives and then some. I'm Rob Jepson, and at Exvoyant, we work with sales leaders in 19 countries around the world, helping them make the one-on-ones they conduct with their reps their most predictive, most important, and most strategic part of their go-to-market. At Exvoyant, we're committed to providing resources to sales leaders they can't find anywhere else. We believe the most important and most difficult job in business is the one you have. That's right, the role of a sales leader. It's a lonely job as a sales leader with massive expectations and very few resources. Sales leadership is the most important but least developed discipline in business. And as a sales leader, my mission is to contribute to the craft of sales leadership. I believe how you lead your team is your most defensible competitive advantage in business. And I also believe it's the place that the company gets the most leverage as you ignite and inspire improvement with every single rep on your team. With this focus, creating resources for B2B sales leaders regardless of company size, industry, or growth stage, the Exvoyant team spends a ton of energy looking for ways to contribute to the sales leadership profession. This led to us starting this sales leadership podcast in July of 2018. Our mission was to find the most successful sales leaders in the world and interview them to share the ways that they get their teams into high growth mode, but more important, help them stay there. We've interviewed 24 fantastic leaders. They come from diverse industries. They are at different stages of company growth. Some are mature companies you've all heard of. Others are emerging companies you should get to know. No matter how different they are, there's one commonality. They're led by leaders capturing my three favorite words in business, and then some. These these leaders do what the company expects, and then some. They provide what their reps need, and then some. They help create killer customer experiences, and then some. No matter what they're asked to do, they apply those famous three words, and then some. Average companies take what the market gives. Legendary ones find ways to take what the market gives, and then some. Our mission is to help you create as many, and then some, days, weeks, months, quarters or years as you want. The response from the uh, from our listeners has been overwhelming. Thousands of downloads, hundreds of conversations with listeners, and even a nomination as Sales Podcast of the Year has humbled us. 
Thanks to each of you for being willing to listen to the blueprints of these amazing leaders. Thanks even more for sharing your opinion of what you like with your friends and the reviews that you've left us on your podcast sites. Finally, thanks to these leaders for being willing to share each of their approaches to sales leadership. I've enjoyed the opportunity to have these conversations with each sales leader. I always finish an interview fired up and recommitted to improving my approach to the craft of sales leadership. And as diverse as the group of sales leaders is, there are some things they are eerily similar in. I recently went through many of the episodes and broke them down and found some key learnings shared by all of these high-growth leaders. I compiled these learnings into two greatest hits volumes of the podcast. Today, we will share episode one of the Sales Leadership Podcast Greatest Hits. This episode features the following leaders and companies. Robert Beatty, Senior Director of Sales for Thomson Reuters. Justin Welsh, Senior Vice President for Patient Pop. Travis Huff, Senior Director of B2B Sales for Wayfair. Mark Smith, VP of Sales for Wampley. Ralph Barcy, Senior Director of Global Sales Development for ServiceNow. Robert Cornell, VP of Sales for Steelhouse. Tony Bennett, VP of Sales for Terminus. Kevin Dorsey was with Service Titan when we interviewed him. Now is VP of Inside Sales for Patient Pop. That's a lot of awesome leadership in one company. John Barrows, CEO of J. Barrows Sales Training. Scott Lease, Senior Vice President of Sales for Qualia. Justin Hyatt, VP of Inside Sales for Workfront. And Jake Hugely, Managing Director of Fee Income for Zions Bancor. Now, that's a lot of interviews with some really, really, really smart leaders. And the fact that they all gravitate to five non-negotiables means this episode has five things every single one of us needs to pay attention to. It has been a blast to interview these people. It has been a real learning experience putting together these five non-negotiables. And I hope you enjoy the Sales Leadership Podcast Greatest Hits, Volume 1. I'm often asked... What does it take to be a great sales leader? I think our very first guest, Robert Beatty of Thomson Reuters, I think he provides a great lens for us to look through on this one. Check out what he has to say about the role of a sales leader. Oh, so your job is to motivate them. And I say, no, I can't motivate somebody. All I can do is create an environment where the motivated can be successful. Our job as leaders is to create an environment where the motivated can be successful. That's what culture is all about. Foundation of all great sales teams is culture. But culture means different things to different people. Some people think it's a ping pong table, a foosball table, or craft beers on tap. After speaking with the architects of the world's greatest sales teams, there is no doubt culture is about creating an environment that fosters success and achievement. While every one of our sales leaders had something to say about culture, I'd like you to listen to what Kevin Dorsey had to say about why culture comes first in any high-performing sales organization. Because if I can build a strong culture that has the foundational behaviors in place, that's the only way to grow and grow quickly that I can one, get my team to do what they need to do. But more importantly, like to grow, you need new people. And if you have a lackluster culture, it's hard to attract the people that you want or to get new people to come in. So I'd say culture is my non-negotiable. I'd rather have mediocre results with a great culture than great results in a shitty culture. The good news is you don't have to choose culture versus results. Ralph Barzi echoed Kevin by pointing out the impact of great culture. It's 
critical that I create an environment and a culture that pulls people towards the goal versus pushes them towards the goal. Listen, there are a ton of variables people look to in creating a great culture. Tons. How do we build one that pulls people to the goal rather than pushes them? As I looked through the interviews with all of these awesome leaders, I found nine that were really, really common to all nine of them. Here are the nine most common focus points that came through from our guests. The first is work ethic. None of these leaders choose working smart over working hard. Ralph Barcy sounds off on this one better than I've heard anyone else describe it. So industriousness, it's a solo effort, dude. It, it's, you know, the work is not going to get done if you're staying in bed. It requires you to be fully engaged, totally focused, and immersed in the smallest of tasks. It's not about clocking in and clocking out. It's about building brick by brick and getting towards the ultimate goal. And when you're not industrious and you're not enthusiastic about the work that you're doing, it, it's never going to be accomplished straight up. And it, when you demonstrate it as a leader and you lead by example and people see you in the office first, out of the office last, uh, you know, corresponding and responding to people quickly and with actionable items for them to take and apply immediately, um, you're going to build a collective effort and your effort alone will be very infectious. A strong work ethic provides a foundation for the next cultural element. The second is an expectation to be responsible for their own success. I love how Mark Smith of Wompley looks at it. Mark looks for reps that want to learn, but they look in the mirror when it comes down to who they need to count on in order to win. They tell you not to feed the lions at the zoo because they get domesticated. And it's the same thing. When you, when you take really good salespeople and you throw them into an environment where they get spoon-fed, um, they actually get worse at sales. They actually get less resilient. They, they're able to um, overcome things a lot less than they than they were. At Patient Pop, Justin Welsh has created a culture where the reps are designers of their own careers, and he's looking for reps that feel that they're driving their own ship. This is a place where if you're a, a Patient Pop top performer, you're an evangelist of your success blueprint. The third cultural point is a commitment to continuous improvement and learning. Continuous improvement is a hallmark of the most successful teams in the world, and this is something leaders have to work hard to build. John Barrow shares tons of thoughts on this one in his episode with us, and he really did an awesome job on sharing why this matters and how to develop it. Check out this series of thoughts from John. Well, look, if you, if you base your success in sales purely based on your quota, it's going to be a rough go like you're because there's so many more losses than there are wins. And that ends up eating you alive if you don't really focus on the small wins. And so if you're just looking at the big goal as the way you're going to measure your success, then I don't think you'll, you'll probably won't last too long in this profession. But if you walk in every day and say, what can I learn today? Right. Like what like, yes. Okay. Obviously my goal is to get some meetings or close these deals or whatever it is. That's my big goals. But, but what else do I want to focus on? And to your point, if you know, let's, let's use a day, right? Say an individual rep, if they make 50 dials in a day and get no meetings and it's kind of all over the place and yeah, it's a shitty day. I totally agree. But if you make 25 dials with this approach and 25 dials with this approach and still get no meetings, 
that's actually not a bad day because you just, to your point, figured out two approaches that don't work. And then tomorrow you come and try a couple new ones. You'll eventually start to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And if you kind of extrapolate this to the team level, well, now all of a sudden you you can create an engine. And then, by the way, by doing that, you have a process that you can repeat. And then you can coach your reps to fit into that process. And then, by the way, as they graduate through that process, they can apply that process when they're managers and so on and so on and so on. Just because these cultures create reps that drive their own growth and commit to continuous improvement and development doesn't mean that the team's siloed. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The great cultures facilitate sharing and helping, and most of all, they build a deep, deep feeling of responsibility to each other. John Barrows recommended having shared accountability with a very cool and innovative approach like this one. You, you have this culture of continuous improvement where you're constantly asking, you know, small things of your team to improve upon. And, and you pick things that you work on as a group and then you assign um, things to people. So, for instance, I used to do what I said there, which is pick a topic at, on my Monday morning sales team meetings that we were having a challenge with. And then what I would say is, OK, who wants to tackle this one? And I would get somebody to, you know, raise their hand. I'll, I'll take care of it. And look, I'm not talking saying, you know, take two days out of your week and, and go do research on this. I'm saying take lunch, do a little Google search on a good way to approach this scenario, come back and present it to the team about what that approach is. And then you're going to be the one responsible for coaching the team on how to do that thing that you just learned about. Right. So now you put them in a position where, You'll easily see, by the way, you'll, you'll see the reps that gravitate towards that and the ones that are struggle with it. And that's for you as a manager, something that you can look at from a leadership development standpoint, because some reps are going to present what they found really well and know how to, you know, work with the team and that type of stuff. But you almost make them king for the week or queen for the week. And they, and it's their job to, to, to work with the rest of the team on this one topic and then report back to the team on the results. So with that, it's this weekly thing, right? Every player on the team gets a new, th- you know, once a week, every player gets something else that they pick on and, and they're, they're, pre- they're researching, they're presenting, they're tracking and they're coaching themselves at a very, very minor level that doesn't e- expect them to do too much more than what you're already asking of them. And, and that way it fosters this environment of let's all get better together, right? And you're going to be the one that leans, leaves the charge on this for this week. Justin Welsh took it one step further, and he connects the dots with each rep on how every part of the company depends on them. I show them in the organization every single person in every single person's name that depends on their performance. So I connect them personally to other folks in the organization. These are two great pieces of advice to help you make sure that your team knows they're surrounded by strong, capable reps, but more important, they have each other's backs. The fifth element is trust. Trust is built over time and can only be earned as leaders do what they say they'll do. Mark Smith spent a ton of time talking about the importance of trust in his episode. And if you're looking to build more trust with the members on your team, I would recommend listening to all of that episode all over again. I've been on site with him and his team, and I've seen that his team trusts him implicitly. No rep will ever run through a wall for their leader unless there's tons of trust Check this clip out from Mark on his approach to building trust with his team. And what I tell them is I'll never ask them to trust me, but I do believe that over a long period of time they will. And, and I think it has worked for me. Number six is coachability. The best reps only hire people they have reason to believe will respond to coaching. 
In today's environment, bad coaching is a good reason to leave a company. Justin Hyatt of Workfront is aware of this, and he's built a killer coaching culture in his organization. The coaching culture is so strong that his reps get vocal if leaders ever skip coaching sessions. I absolutely do. I think one, we, we hire learners here. We want, we coachability is part of our candidate profile. So we, we hire people that want to be coached that want to learn. Um, I've even had some people here hold my managers accountable and they haven't maybe done a good job that week of coaching, uh, cause we, we track it. Um, but it's absolutely non-starter. And, um, I think that at, at the end of the day, like the, these guys are, they're, they actually care more about developing skill and having pride in the quality of their work than they do probably the money they make. I mean, it's the millennial type culture. And, you know, so it's really, really important that you're developing that skill and giving them the tools, the resources and the skill, you know, to be proud of their work and that they feel like their work is making an impact. And that, that's not going to be the case if they don't feel like they're enabled enough to do it well. If someone's starting to flake a little bit on that, like on the manager side. Um, I have a, a tool to where I get anonymous feedback and I've had reps post on there saying, you know, my manager says they're going to coach or listen to my calls or do this and they haven't been doing it. Uh, so they absolutely expect it. I think any great company, um, this will be part of the, the manager's um, day or week and they absolutely expect it, especially the people we hire. Again, we're, we're hiring people that are coachable and want to learn. So if they're not getting it, they're going to be noisy, and I would expect them to be. Amazing cultures also have really open communication channels. Kevin Dorsey was quick to point out that to the untrained eye, open communication sometimes will seem dysfunctional when communication becomes too open. But if you listen to Kevin, the more open the communication, the stronger the culture, and the better the trust becomes. Check this out. If you listen to the way that I talk to my team and my team talks to you, to me, you'd think we're very dysfunctional, but it's actually more so that's how close we are. We, we get after each other. I push them, but they push me. There's no holds barred on, on my teams. And so I expect communication both ways. I'm going to tell you what I need, want and why, but then I expect it to come back from you too. And when that gets built into a culture, that's what allows the last part, which is like the camaraderie and trust, to be yeah. there. One of the most important elements of a culture that pulls people to goal is optimism. Do your reps sign up for the next challenge? Are they looking to build something worth fighting for? Or are they just doing what you ask them to do? Robert Cornell of Steelhouse, he pointed this out as one of the most important things he's tried to build as he's helped develop the world's fastest-growing ad tech company. Check out Robert's thoughts and really think for a second, what are your reps signing up for every day, week, month, year, quarter? The team is motivated. Uh, other teams internally are motivated. It motivates me every day to be a part of it and, and see uh, how enthusiastic people are to, to win and kind of that winning culture that we're all striving for and fighting for every day. And we've had some amazing months this year hit unique milestones. And yet when, when it's the, the next day of the new month, the team is equally as focused. Um, you know, the celebration's gone and it's like, let's go get it again. And it drives me. So, um, really exciting. The final element our leaders gravitated to was a focus on execution. Nearly every single guest had something to say along the lines of talk being cheap. 
Great results only come through great execution. Justin Welsh shared his recipe for creating world-class execution at Patient Pop here. To me, I see so many people being impressed with a resume, being impressed with a past. And for me, I'm impressed with folks who get stuff done in the present moment. And the way that I let people get stuff done is I let them experiment, track, execute, and repeat. You got to give your leaders autonomy. Let them experiment. Let them track their results. Once they've tracked their results and they figure out what works, execute and repeat. And if you're not doing those four things on a regular basis with your leadership team, you're, uh, in my opinion, you're, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. These leaders are super careful about who they hire. They have killer hiring guides and they don't allow a bad apple to ruin what they've meticulously built. And when you get culture right, at least these three things happen. Number one, culture leads to lower turnover rates. Check out Tony Bennett's experience here. I think a lot of the reasons that people have stayed, where, whether we have ups, whether we have downs, is because they know that we are committed to their success and we're investing in them. And a lot of these reps have never gotten that before in previous companies. Number two, culture leads to higher engagement rates. Look at what the work front experience was with Justin Hyatt. Day one, you see things and you're like, yep, <laughs> we need to change that. Uh, you just you don't do it right away. So you, you, it's really coming down to getting buy-in from people. Um, but yeah, because, I mean, we, we changed a lot here. We changed the way, you know, uh, we prospect people. We changed the way we were doing account-based selling. We, were, we changed our comp plan. I mean, we, we changed a lot. But throughout the course of it, you know, my people were a part of that change and were able to build. And it, it, it really isn't hard to get people on board with what you're doing if they're a part of it. And number three, culture does something that we all want to happen as often as possible. Culture fires off the bat signal and allows you to attract and hire the best talent in your markets, just like Ralph Barcy is able to. But in terms of attracting the talent, that's really what our focus is on. We don't, we're not into pursuing the talent. We're into attracting the talent. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference between the two. So we want to make sure that we're casting a big, bright, bat signal, if you will, into the sky by way of our brand. And that's our company brand. It's my brand. It's the brand of our leaders. And it's the brand of our account development reps across the globe. We want to make sure that we're representing the company, the global sales development organization, and ourselves with the highest standards. If culture is the foundation of the world-class sales teams, then those internal support beams that really give this thing opportunity to rise high is vision. With strong culture in place, the next place most of our guests built their teams came through creating a vision for the team. But they don't just stop by like setting a goal and a vision of what they want to have happen. They actually go one step deeper and they create a vision for how each rep can help drive the overall growth and make it really clear they give this well-lit pathway for how they fit into the overall ambitions of the organization. Our guests were quick to point out not only the importance of vision, but two really important characteristics in getting it right. The first one is that the vision can't just be about the sales number. Check out Rob Beatty's thoughts around vision here. You've got to give somebody a vision, and it can't be a numbers vision, right? It, 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 you can say, hey, look, I want to be a $50 million sales organization, but that seems so far away for people. you got to say, here's what I want my people to be doing, and by extension, we'll be a $50 million sales organization. John Barrows also pointed out that a common vision mistake is to be disingenuous. 
If you want to build a team that gives you as many and then some moments as possible, his advice right here is super, super important. A lot of people, a lot of these startup companies I come across, like you know that they're positioning themselves for acquisition. You know that they're positioning themselves for an IPO or whatever it is, but they're trying to hide it from their team for some reason. Mm-hmm. And you, you'll never be able to get somebody to do more than what they're asked for if they don't buy into a vision and know where they fit in that vision. And so I think painting, having a clear vision of where the business is going over the next two to five years, having, making sure that everybody understands in that organization, their role in helping achieve that. And then making sure that obviously you're, you're making progress towards that goal based on the bigger one is, is where I see the most successful organization, most consistently successful organizations, uh, and, and, and people, um, they have a vision and they, they set goals and they back into how they're going to get there and they execute on that and they iterate along the way. Finally, Mark Smith reminds us that reps don't want you to screw around with them and their careers. Reps are smart. And so leaders that are smart, they're able to align the vision of the company with the goals of the rep. And if they're really smart, they're able to align both of those with the goals of the customer. Check out Mark's thoughts about that here. I think anybody would tell you that if you want to manage change, they have to believe that you are actually being honest. You're, you've got their best interests in heart and you're aligned. Nobody wants to help their boss buy a Ferrari. No, they don't work for our goals. They work for their own. And if you're smart, you can get them to work for the goals of their customer. The best teams, they aim high and they go all in. And it's not just because the vision of the company is aligned with the vision of the rep. It's because vision is created in a way where it's not just hit a number, but here's how. And ultimately, when you do this, it's aligned with the goals of the customer. Vision is something that too many people limit to a goal. Vision and goal are not created equal. Get it right, and you have a good chance on having element number three really get to work for you. Every single leader had a ton to say about process, but they didn't just identify this was the right sales process. All of them knew that pretty much any sales process was better than no process, and where they all were really consistent was they had this insight that they understood that systems operationalize process. And that's the third thing that all of these sales leaders have in common is they develop systems rather than just create process. Check out Ralph Barzi's thoughts about this. And it's also equally critical, if not more critical, to create systems to get people to those targets. I'm a big fan of the quote from Scott Adams. He's the cartoonist who did Dilbert. He's a blogger, a writer. And I say this over and over again, that losers have goals, winners have systems. Oh, I love that. You know, the Golden State Warriors, I'm a huge fan of. It's where I'm from. It's my neck of the woods. Yes, the team with the best players typically wins, right? And they're going to set out at the start of their NBA season wanting to win the championship. But if they just threw wanting to win the championship on the whiteboard and then went home, you know, the likelihood of them hitting that target is low. Every single one of these amazing leaders build systems So the process of their choice, or the one that best matches their market, fuels the success of the plan of every rep in a way that it rolls up and fuels the success of the team. 
Great teams do tons more than just put a goal up on the board, as Ralph really alludes to. So that really begs a question. What are the characteristics of a great system? When I talked to Robert Beattie, he told me great leaders codify how they hit their goal. John Barrows painted it in even more vivid color for us when he said this. The best managers I see are the ones who, are, who have a, a structure and a process that they follow. Not to the T in the sense that I'm not talking scripts here. I'm not talking that everybody has to present the exact same way or everybody has, you know, this is the, like a very, you know, a micromanaged sales process. I'm talking about a process. Yes. Because too many sales, too many sales reps. Like, so we talked, I talked earlier about kind of my, my history in the sense that there was no education in sales. Now there's finally an education, but we, as sales professionals, we are the least educated in our profession. Right. Out of any other profession out there, Without it's almost right. It's the default profession. Yep, so yep. if you think of the lack of education that sales reps get, well, it's 10 times as bad as far as managers. Yes. Because most of the time it's the best sales rep that gets promoted to be the best, to, to be the manager. And a lot of times that best man, that best sales rep is not going to be, they're not suited to be the best manager because they're the artists, right? I talk a lot about art and science of sales, right? They're the artists. They're the ones who just kind of know how to do what they do. They have a strong work ethic. They're good at what they're, you know, they, they understand how to pick up on nuances, where to spend their time, but they don't have a, mentally they haven't thought about it as a process, even though they do, if you were to break it down. So now to take somebody who's somewhat of an artist and tell everybody else, okay, now make them all Picasso, like that's damn near impossible, <laughs> right? Yeah. But... Sorry, but if you have like a paint by numbers to a certain degree where you put yellow there and, and you can walk somebody through a process, now you can apply that and tweak it, tweak it, tweak it along the way. So I think that's probably one of the bigger pieces that I see missing is that managers are deal chasers and they don't really have a structure or process that they apply. So therefore, they don't know how to measure or improve what they're doing. Travis Huff of Wayfair uses a system to individualize plans so any rep from the newest to the team to the most senior on the team Every single one of them can hit goal. Now, the secret to that is they don't all have the exact same way that they implement the system. It's tailored based on the different skills that they have. Listen to Travis talk about it here. We have reps that may be less skilled than other reps, but they're competing at the same level from a revenue standpoint. Yes, they're making more connections per day. They're working harder, but you can be at the same place as your top earners without actually um, having the same skill set. The importance of a system is that it operationalizes the process and it really helps make sure that every rep has a plan to help them hit goal. Just like no two companies are the same, no two reps are the same, and great systems provide leaders ways to tailor to the needs of every rep. Now, one of my favorite examples of this came when I was talking to Jake Hugely of Zions Bancor. He's won tons of award for this system they built called the Six Bucket Banker System. Basically, this system is about solving every problem that a, uh, a customer has by virtue of being in business. They sell to controllers and CFOs financial tools to help them run businesses, and they were able to categorize all the different types of, of problems or challenges that one of these people would have and matched every product to one of those categories. The result is a jaw dropper. Jake's system moved them from three and a half products per business to over 15 products per business and they never set a product goal. 
Check out Jake as he explains how this worked. Because rather than going out focusing on the one one product, we started in the first category, the first question. We asked a series of questions and created an experience where clients were starting to say things like, I'd never heard that question before, or that was a great question. Nobody's asked me about that before. And we got them to really start to think about their business differently than just somebody who was out there trying to sell them a product. That success is what, you know, was the catalyst to that 15 products per commercial relationship because it wasn't out there trying to do one off. We went from selling, you know, one to two products on average, Rob, when we'd go out on a call to where we were, uh, you know, you know, signing up clients with seven to, to 12 services on a call. And it's because they started to really understand the value across the board in all of the different categories. That's what a system will do for you. Systems make process work for you. Systems make reps buy into vision. And at the end of the day, systems tailored to the needs of the individuals help you make every other part of your culture work. As I conducted each of these interviews, I was super impressed by how committed each of these leaders were to coaching. The hardest part of creating this Greatest Hits podcast really is limiting our 13 participants because every one of them, I could focus on just their their comments. Every one of them talks about coaching. But for these people, once again, they don't just talk about coaching and use it as a fat kind of buzzword. They look how to operationalize that process and they really gravitate to teaching. They use this time to teach in the one-on-one with every rep. And as a result... Attribute number four that they all gravitate to is using coaching to teach. World-class one-on-ones happen when leaders exhibit these four attributes. Number one, they're humble. Rob Beatty suggested that being a sales leader is like being an offensive lineman. Your work helps someone else score. Uh, These meetings should never be about anything other than how you help a rep do more than they would have if you left them on their own. In fact, Rob went one step farther and said, don't be that, be that, like that monkey, uh, just banging the cymbals. Okay. We got to be humble and have that approach that you're going to be the one who scores. I'm here to help you however I can. Number two, it's got to be individualized. Now I love Scott Lease of Qualia's approach here. He believes that time with reps is the number one job for every single sales leader. It's the only way you can truly individualize how you teach and how you upskill each rep. To do this, though, it requires prioritizing your time, but it pays big dividends both in the short and in the long run. Most importantly, I think it's a matter of me losing track of my time and and not prioritizing my time the right way. Hmm. So said differently, what happens is the reps ramp slower if I'm sucked away building out operational things, okay? That's less time that I get to spend sitting on calls with them, actively participating in their deals, less time that I uh, get to spend listening to recordings of their calls and providing feedback, less time I get to spend with them just having, you know, heart-to-heart conversations about their pipeline, about sales, about life, about their goals, all these. These are the things that interest me, okay? Nailing the operational stuff and getting all the, uh, you know, uh, dispositions set and all the workflows going on and, and that's not, that's not my passion. I, yeah. I know all that stuff is important. Okay. I know we need all of this data. I want to sit here and be like, okay, we need closed loss reasons. 
here's all the closed Ross reasons I want you to go put in the pick list. Got it? There's about 20 of them. Okay, go get that done for me. At Wayfair, reps have a culture of targeting the area that holds them back the most. They expect, I should say that again, each rep expects to address these areas in each one-on-one, and then they also expect that they're going to make commitments on how they'll improve. Check out what Travis uh, what Travis says at Wayfair because this approach of intentionally targeting that area is kind of eye-opening. We have a saying in in our organization that coach the lowest form of broken behavior because there's really no reason to be coaching anybody on how to close better when they can't even get a seven-second <laughs> done. And, and yeah. Yeah, they're not earning the right to have enough conversations, closing conversations. They're, they're not getting enough people to even want to listen to, to their uh, their sales pitch. Finally, most leaders only push the more button. Think about it. That's the button that we almost always push. Using your system to tailor your one-on-ones is the only way you can move past putting pressure on the reps in the one-on-one and having them move up the stack ranking or having them, you know, compete against something else. Really, the, that's what most of us do. And the only way we move that past that is if we start pushing the how button. I want you to listen to how pushing the how button transformed one-on-ones for Jake Hugely. Or, you know, I can remember when we'd stack rank everybody and it was this binary kind of uh, coaching mentality. It was, are you hitting your goal or are you not? And they were using it as a gotcha moment to say, you haven't hit your goal. And when we changed this approach, the sales uh, process, our coaching conversations became much more relevant. Uh, Rob, to the individual, because we could start to see uh, in the six buckets, as an example, if there were three buckets that we were not having a great penetration of products with one uh, employee, we could have conversations to see if it was a skill deficiency, if there was a willingness um, to try to improve, and our conversations changed overnight from a did you hit your goal or not to a relevant conversation that was meaningful to that employee to help them level up. Okay, the third attribute of these killer one-on-ones and learning events through coaching is the leader has got to be committed only to the success of the rep. If you're committed to the success of the rep rep and nothing else, this becomes an amazing experience. And Travis Huff, again from Wayfair, went one step farther as he described what the one-on-one should be. Coaching sessions should be the one time that your reps come into that meeting and know without a doubt that this is totally about them, the individual, the rep, and it's about helping them get better and helping them achieve their goals. And so if you go into a coaching session and you muddy the waters by talking about corrective action or putting people on corrective plans, all of a sudden coaching starts to lose its effectiveness because somebody comes in and they don't know, is this a corrective action? Is this I'm not doing things right? You know, we we want all of our reps to know, hey, this is a coaching session, so this is going to be one, a, a really safe environment for me to understand what I'm doing well and what I can do to get better. But most importantly, how am I going to get to the goals that I need to get to so I can make more money for me and my family? One-on-ones should never, ever, ever be about the leaderboard or how they compare to someone else. One-on-ones should only be about beating one person, and that's themselves. Beat yourself yesterday. Beat yourself last week. Beat yourself last month. Beat yourself last quarter. If you take that approach, the one-on-one all of a sudden becomes pretty important. And Robert Cornell, 
I love his approach to this. He has the one-liner that got the most responses so far in the history of the show. You may remember it when he said, we're removing the sink from sink or swim. And his approach is interesting. He finds ways to fully immerse every rep in what they need to learn. Listen to him talk about it. Instead of bringing them on and putting them through the, you know, a quick uh, week or two of training and then trying to get them out there with some sort of playbook and say, go get it. Um, we wanted to put them in the situations with people that are, are doing that and putting them through training and saying, hey, you know what, your first 90 days are going to be showing you all aspects um, of the sale and everything that we do to be successful with all our top reps, not just one, creating the most robust mentorship program. And so they're being exposed to all these things because you could have a library of, you know, trainings and calls. But if you're not getting them exposed and having them be involved in that process, they don't learn. This approach of full immersion starts when they're onboarding, but he doesn't stop there. And by the way, Robert handles the onboarding himself. It's that important. Robert, though, has driven this attitude towards all the rest of the coaching that they do all uh, across the board. And it's driven how they, they coach every rep. The leaders are expected to fully immerse reps in the skills driving the behaviors associated with the Steelhouse system. So the takeaway on this one is great teachers teach people how to swim. They don't even think about the sinking. And so we should have that same approach with our one-on-ones. And that takes us to the final one. Great one-on-ones are execution-oriented. Now, the leaders that we talk to help their reps understand more than just the things they have to learn, like product knowledge and market knowledge. The most important learning happens when they understand how to apply it. One of my favorite uh, things that we heard about was Kevin Dorsey, as he talked about his flashcards. Um, had a, a guy reach out and send me a picture of flashcards that he made uh, featuring Kevin and myself that really fired me up because learning how to apply things is what makes the difference. And nobody said it better than the way Jake hugely said it here. Listen to Jake talk about his approach and how this has changed the course of many careers. You know, we, we have a tagline, Rob. We say, teach, don't preach, show, don't tell. And it's something that we really believe in. And I think it starts at the top. Um, I can't ask my people to drive revenue and to do things that I myself am not able to show them how and to, and to teach them how um, to do that. And I think it starts at the top, A, for my capabilities and skill set or whatnot, but number two on that coaching cadence. How I coach the coaches, as an example, should be a reflection of how my coaches teach and coach and work with their teams. And I don't use um, gotcha moments with my team. They certainly know what the numbers are. They can look in the rearview mirror. But I'm, I'm trying to focus on the windshield. I'm trying to focus on what's in the future and helping them identify um, what are the areas that we can set weekly and some cases their monthly coaching goals that allow them to improve. The fifth and final element that all of these leaders gravitated to was engagement. The great sales leaders are not armchair quarterbacks. The great ones are not hiding behind Salesforce dashboards or call reports. The great ones are in the game playing a role that helps the members of the team execute with confidence. And with this in mind, here are the four things that stood out to me about how these leaders engaged to help their team. Number one. They have a palpable belief in the mission. 
Tony Bennett of Terminus, she was awesome about this. She shared how this was important to her joining the company and this belief that she had, how important it was for her to build her team. Check out what she has to say about it here. I think it starts with true, genuine excitement and passion for the space that you're in, which from the very beginning, what drew me to Terminus caused me to take a big risk on a very small company at the time was belief in the mission of what our founders wanted to build. And I think if you have that, uh, coming to the table every day and being willing to challenge what you are already doing and just think, like, what is the absolute best, clearest way to take this message to market and get people excited about it um, and continuing to challenge what you're doing so that you can get better each day at a time. Number two. They're servant leaders. Mark Smith said it best when he said, reps aren't here to buy their leaders Ferraris. While I loved that, I even loved more Justin Hyatt's thoughts on what we are here for as leaders. And I, I truly firmly believe it and I live it here. It's like, like I'm here to serve you and create an environment for you to be successful and grow professionally and make some good money and have fun. And, and that's, you know, what I told them from the moment I set foot in this place and, you know, I think they trust you. You start with trust and you can lose it. And, you know, it's been good ever since. You can talk about this all day long, but it's a completely different thing to back it up. Here are two examples of how leaders that came and talked to us demonstrated how to do just that. The first comes from Scott Lease. What's difficult is for sales leaders to actually step outside of their own world and, and realize that it's not all about them and their number and, and their success and barking orders at people and, and all this kind of thing. It's too easy for, for sales leaders to get sucked into the world of, you know, board meetings and right. executive meetings. And let me, I need to, I have, you know, a two hour meeting with the VP of marketing today so we can get on the same page. You know, nothing against my VP of marketing, but like, I don't want to talk to him for two hours every single day. Are you talking about the reps world and only their world? Scott's right. It is way, way, way too easy to focus on other things. The second example comes from Ralph Barcy. He makes it his business to know every single rep personally. Check that out. It's even more challenging for me to actually get to personally know every individual in my organization. So I'm on airplanes all year long, sitting face to face with every ADR on our team to get to know something about them. Because when they hit those rough patches or aren't hitting their numbers, but we see the potential and we, we know we could just make a two degree tweak and they're right back on the path, unless I know them and unless our leaders know the people, we're going to have a hell of a time as a team making those quick adjustments. So you actually have to act as if you're a team of five versus a team of 500 or 5,000. This is a point you just can't afford to miss. You cannot serve them if you do not know them, period. Number three, engage leaders, innovate. Engage leaders don't stand pat. Again, tons of comments on this one, uh, more than I can talk about, uh, but it's really this simple. You don't want to be the last to change. Don't adapt only when you're behind. Rob Beatty has an awesome piece of advice on this that led to how they approach the future world of a seller. We try to look out at the horizon just, just far enough that we can kind of craft 
internal messaging around that. And so my, my management team, we will always talk about, uh, the, what we, for a long time, we were calling the 2020 sales rep. And that really started in 2013. We would say, okay, what does our sales reps need to look like and be doing in the year 2020 to be successful? That's awesome. And so, yeah. And so now we're starting to switch that horizon to 2025 because <laughs> I think the, uh, the advent of artificial intelligence and machine learning and its impact on sales is sort of that next wave of, of innovation coming here. So I want you to think about that and ask yourself, what are we doing to make sure our reps stay out in front? Are we leading from the front and staying in front or are we playing catch up and just working like crazy to see if we can take what's left over? Which takes us to number four, the engaged leaders lead by example. And one of my favorite stories so far came from John Barrows when he shared a great story as he went from having no respect for a leader and challenging him uh, to being super impressed when he demonstrated his ability to do how the job is done. Great leaders set the example for work ethic, culture, and every part of what's expected for the rep. And, and while I love John's story, I think the best way to wrap this up is going back to Ralph Barcy and, and listening to his take on just how important and how memorable the power of example really, really is. And a lot of people forget that whether they like it or not, they're setting an example. I don't know if it's a good one or a bad one, but... I want to make sure that everybody knows, regardless of how you run your day, people are watching. They may not tell you what they think or, uh, you know, shed light and say you might want to think about doing it this way or that way. They might say nothing. But at the end of the day, man, you're still setting an example. So you might as well set a great one. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed Volume 1 of the Sales Leadership Podcast Greatest Hits. Special thanks to each of our 13 featured guests. I could have very easily done this with only one of their participation. It was a huge challenge to represent all 13 because they'd given us so much richness and so much depth around these five critical, critical areas. The one thing I didn't spend time on was some of the leadership traps that we fall into. I'm going to turn that into a podcast all its own. The seven deadly sins leaders fall into when they do one-on-one coaching. Today we introduce you to a model of sales leadership excellence. We'll add to it with Greatest Hits Volume 2 and provide more insight to the concepts of culture, vision, systems, teaching, and engagement. My challenge to you is to consider each of these building blocks and how you can make sure they help you raise your leadership game in 2019. Special thanks to Robert Beatty, Justin Welsh, Travis Huff, Mark Smith, Ralph Barcy, Robert Cornell, Tony Bennett, Kevin Dorsey, John Barrows, Scott Lease, Justin Hyatt, and Jake Hugely for each of their contributions to the sales leadership community. Even more, thanks to you, our listeners. If you like what you're hearing, please keep leaving those reviews on your favorite podcast sites. It helps others like you find us. Finally, as we head into the holiday season, we at Exvoyant wish you a very happy holiday and remind you, don't worry. Just execute, and we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.